0: Hi, uh, welcome to the new voting project. My name is Kunal, your host. um, And today we're speaking with Delaine Easton, a former union city council member, a state assemblywoman, and the former state superintendent of public instruction in the state of California. You were also a gubernatorial candidate in 2018, and most recently a candidate for being the chair of the California Democratic Party. Thank you, Delaine, for taking the time to be here with us today. I know you're super busy, but, yeah, thank you so much.
1: Pleasure's all mine, Kana. Thank you for asking Of
0: course, of course, anytime. But yeah, let's dive in with our first question, uh, which is for the viewers, could you detail um, kind of your education policies, what you've done for the state of California, and touch on how college prepared you to deal with the issues um, we have today?
1: Well, I was a really lucky kid. I, just to give you a little background, I was uh uh, my dad was in the Navy, he was 22 years career Navy. And and so in the beginning of my education, I w- we, he was stationed at Mare Island and we lived with my grandparents in San Francisco. And I went from a classroom wh- with had, a, the teacher was lovely, but she had 44 children in a second grade classroom. And when my dad got out of the Navy, she, he and my mother decided they could have bought a bigger house for less money but they bought the little house that cost more because the schools were better. And so I went from a classroom of 44 to a classroom of 20, and it was night and day. I mean, I I probably developed my leadership skills in San Francisco because the teacher had me leading a reading group at the age of seven. But the fact is that um, the schools in San Carlos were were much much less crowded and more uh, and quieter and much uh, really much better places to learn. And so I tell anybody who'll listen that my whole life was transformed by having the fabulous education that I got, not only in uh, in college, but before that in elementary school, middle school, and high school, where I had, you know, just these wonderful teachers and these wonderful environments where there were, you know, uh, you you had a chance to do AP classes, and you had a chance to have a laboratory, and you had a chance to have teachers that could hear you and see you and and although I was, because I was a woman uh, at that time, when I left high school, you'll be shocked to know, some good things had happened. We were fifth of the 50 states in per pupil spending in California. But we um, ironically uh, had some other real challenges in, in the nation. And one of them was that women could not borrow money under the College Student Loan Act until they 21. Men could borrow at 18. So it meant if my parents being blue collar it meant they had to borrow the money at 7.5% interest and pay it back in three years versus me being able to borrow it at 4% interest and pay it back over 10 years, but no interest was accrued until nine months after I graduated if I was a boy. But because I was a woman, the fact is they, they, I, they, I couldn't get the loan. So because my parents were gracious and good, both of them, they uh, decided to set, borrow the money themselves and by the time I was 21 and I could borrow the money, the law changed that the year I turned 21. But by that time they were paying twice their house payment on my college student loans. And there were a lot of parents who wouldn't have done that. So I was blessed not only to have great K-12 uh, experience or first through 12, because I didn't go to kindergarten. And, uh, but, but the fact is that, because uh, they moved three times that year. But that's one of the reasons I want kindergarten to be mandatory for all kids. And I've been fighting to do that and I hope we're gonna make, get it done. But the bottom line is that we have, uh, we have an opportunity uh, to, to uh, understand that it does matter what we invest in education. That makes a huge difference. Someone's calling let me hang this up. So we need to increase our investment in public education and uh, when I became superintendent of public instruction, we had dropped to 47th of the 50 states. Remember, we were fifth when I graduated from high school. We dropped as low as 47th. And I got us back to 27th, which in eight years was a pretty big jump, uh, partly by suing the governor and by you know doing some other things that to point out that people weren't, weren't abiding by the law. The state constitution actually said, Article 16, Section 8, says from all revenues, there shall first be set apart the money for the education of children. And that was not what was happening in Sacramento. And you can blame anybody you want, but budgets are statements of values. And for us, even today, we're 21st in per pupil spending. We ought to be in the top five. And uh, we're number one, though, in something, and that's per prisoner. So there's something wrong with the values in Sacramento, even today, because children should cut. And if we educate them, we won't have to incarcerate them, by the way. So for me... Uh, Again, I I was coming of age at a time when there was still a lot of discrimination against women. We only made 54 cents on the dollar, what men made. Today, we make 80 cents on the dollar, so we've improved. But still, the women make less than men. And so the only way you can really make a decent wage is if you have an education. And that was the secret to my success, that I got to go to UC Davis as an undergraduate, and then I got to go to UC Santa Barbara as a graduate student. And I have had a wonderful life because I've had a wonderful education I've done a lot of really interesting things and uh, and <clears throat> when I became superintendent of Public instruction I was the first woman in history I'm still the only woman that ha- was elected to that statewide office uh, We'd only had three women to for all eight statewide offices in history in 1994 so uh, we're, we're we're coming a-, a ways we now are up to 13 women that have been elected but uh, we, we need to have more women and more diverse people in representing the state of California. So our kids will look at the electeds and see themselves there.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. So I guess this kind of brings a follow-up question. Why did you choose to pursue politics? Um, I know you touched on why education reform, um, but also why should education be, like you said, you know, the state mandates that you know, education should be the number one priority when it comes to revenue um, and spending. But why, why is education the most important, the, the, the most pivotal thing we can all be doing?
1: Well, you should know I didn't intend to run
0: for office. I
1: was trying to write the definitive textbook of California state and local government because there was not a good one. And I was teaching at the community college and I was trying to uh, get a full time opportunity. So someone said, if you write the definitive textbook, it'll help you. The fact is that I was doing all the extra stuff they paid the full timers more to do. I was r- running the women's studies program at one campus and the women's reentry program at another, and I was, uh, you know, developing courses and and doing uh, extracurricular things that um, to be noticed and to get my opportunity to get a full time job. And finally, I got selected. And so somewhere along the way, I went down and applied to be on the planning commission in Union City because someone said that's a great way to learn about local government and there really weren't any good textbooks and so I was going to write it And uh, I wound up having the good fortune when I first applied I applied for parks and Rec and they didn't appoint me because I hadn't lived in town for a year we just bought our first house and but I did do a lot of preparation and one of the council members came up to me and said "I've never seen anybody that well prepared apply for a commission If you do the same kind of prep, and you come back in a few months, there'll be an opening for the planning commission, which is, and I told him I was you know, wanting to write a textbook. And so he said, that'll even be a better place to learn about this community. And so I wound up going, applying for the planning commission and I got appointed. And when I first went there, we had a wonderful planning director and wonderful parks and recreation director and a fabulous city manager. And he got hired away by Palo Alto. So we had to hire a new city manager, and uh, she was one of the only two women who were city managers in the entire state at that time. Now there's a bunch, but you know it was still a pretty closed world in in the uh, in those days. So we had a wonderful city manager who came on board after the other wonderful city manager, and they really helped me, and I helped I hope the city to uh, to make some important changes. The previous city manager had written a grant to United California Bank to study how Union City could improve itself. And one of the things they said was we had too much of the same kind of housing. All of our housing was sort of first time homes that you needed, yes, some apartments for people to come who can't afford to buy a house, but still there's a BART station. And yes, we needed senior housing as well because we had only young families. And so people could stay there or be there with their you know, extended family. And we needed to build move up housing so that if you wanted to buy a bigger house, you didn't have to move to another town. And so we diversified the housing. And along the way, uh, had a brilliant chief of police who helped us to get in cahoots with the school district. So the kids, we worked really hard on improving attendance and not by sending the parents to jail, which a lot of cities do. If your kids are chronically absent they they hold call they the parents down to the magistrate and put them in jail for not sending their kids to school. Well, the school district calls the parents and the, leaves a message on the phone at 10 in the morning that their child isn't there that day. Kids get home before the parents, they erase the message. Most of the parents don't know if they have kids that are chronically absent. And so we dealt with the, um, with the issue by getting the parents in the game with us had a wonderful chief of police and he sent a young officer with a bilingual educator and we would get the parents and explain to them why we were there. As the Kids weren't coming to school. We needed their help. And attendance went up dramatically. Guess what happened when attendance went up? The income of the school district went up. Guess what happened when the school district got healthier in, economically? Graduation rates went up. Guess what happened to college going rates? They shot up. Within five years time, James Logan High School was a top 10 feeder for affirmative action at a little school called UC Berkeley.
0: James Logan's still big today, by the way. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No. And so, it, but it was a win for everybody. It wasn't the city trying to outsmart the school district. It was the city getting in the game with the school district and all of us together focusing on how we could get the kids to attend school more uh, consistently. And it was a big, big victory. In fact, I told that story to a guy who was running for mayor in uh, Vallejo and he threw his head back and laughed. He'd gone to Cal, I knew that. He was a very successful businessman running for mayor. And he said, Delane, did you know I went to James Logan High School and I went to Cal? And I said, well, I knew you went to Cal, but I didn't know you went to James Logan. And he said, so I'm one of those kids that benefited because, you know, the the gangs put pressure on the kids not to go to school and if the parents don't know they're not in school then there's not much they can do about it but we made it so the parents would know and it was fabulous success
0: right wow that's pretty interesting i see james logan you know nowadays it's like a great school but um that's interesting yeah um yeah it was it was tough it was a tough school so but kind of switching gears um into is looking at last year um what well, I think? should
1: I, let me finish that story so at some yeah. point I um got up for a full-time job and prop 13 had passed and one of the people at Kenyatta said it'd probably be years before they would be able to give me a full-time job so I left because by then I had helped someone run for a city council re-election and she the night she got re-elected said we should run you in two years so I decided I was going to run and, and you really do have to be able to buy you know tires for your car and nice shoes and clothes and look like you know what you're doing because the city council pays almost nothing but you still have to look like a professional so at the end of the day I didn't start out trying to be in local government because I was going to run I was trying to be a better professor but in the end I wound up running for Union City City Council and I believe that we became the first city in Alameda County to have a majority of women on the council they were they were, uh, couple of other, another woman elected the same time I was, and then there was a third woman that had already been elected. So, we had a we had a really wonderful team there, and we got a lot done. Right. So,
0: started your started your journey as a city council member. What was that? I said uh, you started your journey as a city council member. I did, and I learned so much.
1: Partly, well, I'd been a planning commissioner for four years, so I had already learned. I'd read the general plan, and not everybody does. But I read all the material every week and I went out and looked at the sites that were being developed and nobody did that on the planning commission hardly one other person did sometime but really so I, the, the more I learned the more curious and excited I was about what we could do as a city and uh, you may know there's a Delane Eastern Elementary School in Union City because of our great partnership between the city and the schools and we started co-locating things like we would put schools on city parks and then Cause you know, during the summer, the park's full and the schools are empty and then school starts and the park's empty and the schools are full and the weekend, the parks are full and the schools are empty. Why not co-locate them? And especially in a time of uh, reduced resources after Prop 13. And so we were able to co- cooperate with each other and get so much more done and, and so much better facilities. And uh, it's, it was, you know, it's a, it's a sweet town But uh, it's really also a very diverse town and it's uh, been a wonderful, uh, I met a woman there when I was at the Easton one day visiting and uh, she had moved out of town with her kids and they begged the parents to move back to Union City because they liked the school so much better. It was really sweet, so.
0: Yeah, looks like you made an impact there. Um, Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I guess, yeah, like I was saying, switching gears, I want to talk about the 2020 election and kind of what your thoughts on the election are, what lessons you've learned, um, and maybe that you'd like to pass on to the viewers.
1: Well, I'm a little worried about the 2020 election, I'll be honest with you. I in my lifetime, I never thought I would live to see a time when members of a political party would vote to re-elect someone who hadn't won. And two thirds of the members of Donald Trump's party voted to put him in office for a second term. They were, of course, outvoted, but it does scare me a little. And when you read the history of Nazi Germany and uh, the fascists in Italy and different uh, terrible chapters in other countries, you have to hope that America continues to educate its people and to insist that they follow the rule of law. And we have to have respect for each other personally, but we've also got to have respect for the constitution of the United States and the laws of the state, California and the United States. And we can't just say, I like that guy, he ought to get another term even though he didn't win. Especially when so many of the states where they asked for the recounts had Republican secretaries of state and Republican governors. And they validated that Joe Biden had won And so to say we ought to just give it to Trump, uh, I think is uh, alarming. And so what I would say is that we all need to understand nobody's perfect and nobody's terrible completely, but we do need the rule of law. And we have to have uh, well-educated people in order to have respect for the rule of law. And we cannot allow people to do evil things, which uh, I would argue was what happened on January the 6th in the Capitol, where I've never seen people do such horrible things to one of our national uh, treasures. And, uh, and I, I also think that we, also, we need to engage the young people more as we go forward and make sure they understand the rules of the game as they're written and not just somebody's, oh, look a pony idea out of the blue that they want to just do things the way they like to do them because it benefits them. We have to do this orderly and in an orderly way. And that's what will save the country through bad times. And whether it's a pandemic, or whether it's an environmental crisis, or whether it's a, a international crisis of political making, uh, we've got to all stay together as Americans. And that means Engaging our young people in this country's values and its laws, and making sure that we keep respect for each other and for the process we're going through.
0: Right. And and on the issue of young people, um, you know, I was just reading actually a poll today um, about Gen Z and the impact it's going to have on future elections. How, how important is voting? Just the, just the simple procedure of casting your ballot, your voice. How important is that going forward? I mean, you, you, you've been doing this a lot longer than really most of us have in Gen Z. But yeah. How important is it to vote? How would you categorize that?
1: Well, the Greeks invented the word democracy from two Greek words, demos and kratos. It meant government by the people. The Greeks also invented the word idiot. It means one who does not participate in politics. That's a fact.
0: Wow. So the
1: Greeks believed that the act of participation didn't just make for a better political system, they thought it made for better people. They really did. And so they thought you, you improved your, um, your own abilities if you participated. And if you think about the people who founded this country I like to remind people that they were they were more closer to your age most of them than to mine. Yeah, there were we we look at them and we think they were all old because they wore those white wigs. But you know, the the old guy George Washington was in his 40s. Jefferson was when they started the writing started the revolutionary war, Jefferson was in his early 30s. Madison and Monroe one was a teenager and the other was in his early 20s. Right. So the people who founded this country weren't a bunch of long in the tooth old folks. They were people that wanted to had dreams of a better future and wanted to ensure that the nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all was in fact well conceived and uh, based on the rule of law, not based on the whims of some royal family. And I think we have benefited by having a good system and and good rules of law, but we cannot change that uh, just to go with the whims of somebody who decide they want to win. We have to make sure we stay with the rule of law and the the process for changing things is orderly.
0: And when it comes to the rule of law, right? Protecting it, I agree with. Preserving it, yes. What about changing it? What do you think about having 16-year-olds with the ability to vote? It's it's a very trendy topic. We recently, there was, I believe, Prop 17 in the state of California um, to give formerly incarcerated people the ability to vote. What do you think about things like that? Younger people, 16-year-olds being able to vote in their student, um, not only student council elections, but also their school board elections, for example, the people who are deciding their future. How, how are these things relating to, to what your background is of education?
1: Well, I do want them to participate. And I was very active. And, you know, I was a Girl Scout myself. My brother was a Boy Scout. I do believe that uh, Youth in Government, which YMCA runs, to get more students engaged in Sacramento, whether it's at the legislature and or the uh, Supreme Court, you may not be aware, but that's the one organization that's allowed to take those buildings over and have meetings there so the students can actually experience what it's like to work in the Capitol. And uh, so I believe a lot more engagement, but I'm I'm a little bit nervous. I, I, I'm glad we went to 18. I was very, you know, because, but many people don't take an American government or California state and local government course until their junior or senior years. They don't actually... Uh, learn some of the basics and so I I want to see them be involved and maybe a way we could do that is to have local involvement and um, but I'd rather see us develop things like internships and and uh, you know opportunities to to do visits and make sure that we've got good classes leading up to that 18 year old vote and you know some people voted 18 who are still juniors or seniors in high school. So, you know, I'm not saying you have to be out of high school or you have to have passed a test, but I am saying that, um, and I do want the students to get involved. So I do think it's getting them engaged and involved is really important. And I I mean that quite sincerely. I think um, that you grow in extraordinary ways when you learn to speak in public, when you learn to Uh, analyze information and make a decision whether you're for it or against it, that you learn things when you meet people and and determine their character and their courage by how they address you. I mean, and we've all had the experience of having somebody talk down to us. It's more common when you're young, I think, but you know, as a woman, I've had people speak down to me and uh, I was turned down for a job by a big contractor when I was, in my late 20s and had a master's degree from the University of California, Santa Barbara. And the guy said, oh my God, I'd love to hire you. I really would, but we need a man and not a girl. Wow. He said that to my face. And so, and I've known a lot of people that have been turned down. I would really like to hire you, but you know, we, we need a man. And so, um, I, and I, I, and and I've had friends that were discriminated against because they'd had polio and they were in crutches and people that have had, you know, other, I, I wrote the Deaf Education Bill of Rights when I was in the legislature because a lot of deaf people are discriminated against. And um, just because you can't hear doesn't mean you're you're mentally defective. Sorry, I have to, I work for this guy. No problem. <laughs> uh, he's just a kitten, so he doesn't, you know. Anyway, I think I really do believe though that the active participation is personally improving, that it really does help you to be a better uh, speaker, decision maker, a better team player, a better person to, um, you know, get people to work together. And so I think there's there's more to democracy just than voting. And that's what I want people to understand that, you know, the the country got founded, by the way, by a bunch of people that were being discriminate against in one way or another or not being allowed to rise to their full potential. And they went across this vast ocean to come to this crazy place called America. And, uh, and they're still doing it, by the way. And uh, that's one of the things that I think we have to understand that you can only have a good democracy if you have a good educational system. They go together. You cannot have people that make decisions popularly Unless they are are thoughtful and educated and can see the difference between right and wrong and left and right, and it doesn't mean we all have to agree all the time, but it does mean that you have to uh, engage in rational and polite discussion about the issues and the decisions you're making.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I I would hope that's the least um, you know prerequisite to to be making decisions on behalf of us, right? Um, yeah, we, we see in and around the country right now, right? We're talking about voting, voting rights being infringed upon, especially in states like Georgia. I believe the bill's SB 202, um, which restricts the ability to get ballots and absentee ballots. Um, how, how do we discuss, and how do we really comprehend the fact that an issue that was supposed to be resolved, I guess, in the '60s and during the civil rights era? And even way before that, written in our constitution, that every man is free, right? Everybody should really be given the inalienable rights. Um, you know, how do you react to that?
1: It's such a great question. I mean, I really do think um, that, I feel first, like we want everybody to have skin in the game. We want right. everybody to feel that they have a chance to influence decisions in an important way. But I think what's really ironic to me, I had some good friends who, uh, he was a Silicon Valley genius. He he still is a genius, but he's retired now. But he and his wife have been friends since they were at Cal. So we've all been friends over 50 years. And he was the COO of a big tech company down in uh, Silicon Valley after he'd spent some time in Germany, me and his wife. And they met this wonderful couple in Germany and they were British. And the couple eventually went and got jobs in Australia. And then he got in, invited to come back to California to do some work for a startup. And he came and he stayed with them in their home in Palo Alto. And they were birders. So they my friends in Palo Alto asked if I would take them out to the wonderful flyway here in Davis, which is one of the best in the country. So I took them out to do birdwatching. And one of the funniest things that happened that day, I know you're probably wondering why I'm telling you all this, but they showed me the fines they had both received in the mail for not voting in the Australian election. Wow. Other countries have the exact opposite attitude that we're displaying right now. They think it's so important that you vote that they'll fine you if you don't vote. They'll you know, send I'm not, opposed, a- I'm not
0: opposed to that idea at this point. I'm not either. Yeah, I
1: thought it was brilliant. And I think we really ought to make it as easy as possible for people to register and to vote, and right. to get their ballots. It shouldn't be something that's that you have to show them your, you know, uh, your twelve kinds of ID, and that that you can't give a bottle of water to somebody standing in line
0: waiting to vote. So I believe this is- five years and a felony if you give if if you're an uh, a bipartisan volunteer working as a poll worker giving a, giving a water bottle it's all it's, it's it doesn't pass the giggle test yeah
1: and you know i mean you know mark twain once said the problem with common sense it's not very common yeah. and um, i i've said that my whole adult life yeah. because this is common sense we ought to make it easy for people to vote you ought to be able to show a couple of ids and just vote If you, for some reason, uh, uh, want to go down and register the same day as we're voting, I'm okay with that. As long as you can prove you're who you are.
0: California has same day registration, by the way. I know we do. Yeah, But Um, they're
1: taking it away in places like Texas. And, you know, honestly, again, I think Australia is smart. A lot of European countries want you to vote. They make it easy for you to vote. They require you to vote.
0: Some make it a national holiday. Exactly.
1: So, you know, I'm more on that side of the debate than the other. Because, you know, again, I really do believe that this right of freedom is not something to be taken for granted. Too many places, countries with e- elegant leadership and great histories and wonderful educational systems, like Germany, like Italy, have have flubbed. And so we need to make sure we... Um, people feel a sense that this is important work and that we all want to do it.
0: Right, and kind of on that, um, similar to you are, you, are you gonna run for any office now? Any aspirations left? You know, when I've been, um, I, I didn't
1: think I could win the governor's race because I'd already been out of office too long, right. but I was very upset that none of the candidates were talking about education. Not about preschool, not about mandatory kindergarten. You know, 16 states, kindergarten is mandatory. It's not in California. And it should be full day. And there should be a lot more invested in K-12 and in higher ed. You should talk. So I I ran because I forced the other candidates to address the issues. And one of them, Antonio Villaragosa, who had been, uh, who's from LA, he got up at one of the debates and thanked me for running because he said, before Delaney got in the race, none of us... We're, we're talking, saying anything about education and it is the most important single thing we do as a state. So I'm, most of my energy now is going to elect people. Uh, I'm trying to help young people who want to run, uh, especially for, uh, you know, local offices and get their feet wet. I'm helping, uh, trying to put more uh, women and people diverse backgrounds onto the ballots and make sure that we have, um, you know, the va- that the budget is a statement of values of the people who live in this state. I've said that for over 50 years, and I believe it's one of the most important uh, moments, aha moments of my life, is your budget is your statement of values as a person, as a family, as a state or city or a school district, and as a country. And I want to see this state and our country value education. So I'm really working Yes, to have more diversity, but also to always be behind the people that are behind the children and their education.
0: Right. And is there anything you recommend to us? You know, I'm still a teenager, as um, hard as it is to believe sometimes. Um, I feel old. I'm an old soul at heart, but um, what would you say to like my generation when it comes to voting, elections, education, wanting to stay engaged, like you mentioned. What is your advice to us?
1: I think it is that you engage, 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 and that you include others who, especially in your generation who are cynical right now, and you know they're there. There's a bunch of them that don't think their vote matters. I'll tell you something. The night I got elected, Union City, City Council, there were seven candidates. Another woman and I came in first and second and there was a dead tie for the third seat, an absolute tie. They recounted it multiple times. And you know what the state constitution says? If there's a tie, you have a game of chance to determine who gets the seat. Now, most people don't realize that, but everyone I knew knew somebody who didn't vote. Oh, I got off the bar train and it was, I went down to vote and the line was too long. Oh, I was on, delayed on the bar train. I got there just before it was I was supposed to eight o'clock and the line was too long. Oh, I, I had a cold and I, I went home and my wife said, oh, you don't have to vote. Not, your vote doesn't make that much of a difference. Everybody knew somebody who hadn't voted and every one of those people could have made that difference. That could have determined, they have a game of chance and they drew numbers out of a trash can instead of a hat to see who would win. And Shorty Garcia became a member of the council instead of Dick Oliver, all because somebody hadn't voted. And at the end of the day, That is unfortunate. Oh, and that's not the first time it happened. One one year, several happened. So this is not new. This has happened before. Everybody's vote does count. And the more we can engage and involve people to really believe they make a difference, the more, in fact, we can hold people accountable and get things done in California. Look at the transformation of Union City over the, it wasn't just me, it was a whole bunch of people that put their shoulder to the wheel. And not all of them ran for office, but they were just, there were some wonderful people in that town who were on boards and commissions and who, who you know, got behind their own kids and helped that city. It has an amazing music program, an amazing forensics program. The kids are debaters. They win. They're often finalists in the oh, state.
0: I go up against James Logan, trust me.
1: Yeah.
0: Trust me. And so, yet yeah, it's
1: a very, it was it was a diverse school before everybody was diverse and so at the end of the day i'll just say to everybody this is this is uh, <clears throat> a lot of fun you get to meet nice people the people to get involved here and even even the people in the other party that i worked with locally were terrific we all we all got to be friends and one one time i was leaving to go to run i was i'd been elected to the assembly and they Chamber of Commerce had an event for me and this woman came up and says, I have voted for you in every election since you came to my door in the rain. And her husband said, wait a minute, we're Republicans. How can you vote for her? She's a Democrat. She said, because she came to my house in the rain, she cared enough about my vote to show up and talk to me. And I think that's the attitude we need. I think we need to get people to feel like they can make a difference and and to represent the sense of community then you have to get together and try to find compromises and try to find middle grounds and you know at the end i really do think union city you know again there were lots of good people that were involved in that city improving itself and it wasn't just one party it was it was a lot of good people some of them didn't belong to any party but they they put their shoulder to the wheel and i think that's what uh and it was a diverse population you know latinos and asian americans and whites and women and we were the first council as I said that probably had a majority of women and so it's it's about um making sure everybody feels welcome and everybody feels a sense of responsibility
0: right I mean that about that about wraps it up I guess I got I got nothing (laughs) I got nothing thank you I think it's you know you've done a tremendous amount for the state Um, you've dedicated your entire life probably and continue to do so so I commend you for your service of course you know you're probably an inspiration to a lot of you know new and incredible candidates that are coming out um so yeah thank you for your for your insight for your perspective you know holler if you ever if you ever need anything and um i'll be sure to consult you before i run for office
1: good <laughs> i hope so i'm serious i'm i uh, i did teach this in school but. Uh, at community college, but I also taught at Mills College. And I, I, uh, I really believe that everything is possible if we have people of goodwill, and who are optimistic, you know, the, is the glass half full or half empty? It's really important that we always be looking at the horizon and thinking about, what can I do to make sure that that next generation, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that I was sitting where you are. I was in finishing high school and thinking you know what's next and it went by very quickly someday in 50 years you'll be thinking the same thing and to be honest with you, I really do think uh, we have. A very propitious time in the history of the country and we cannot allow the cynics to prevail we've got to believe in the future, which means being responsible for children in their education, for seniors in their healthcare, for the environment and global warming has got to be something we acknowledge and do something about. Let's not be afraid to use something called science as well as social science in our decision-making process. And if we do that, I think we'll be a better country in the long run.
0: Well said, well said. Should run for president one day. That sounds right. (laughs)
1: Well, I'm not, I don't think it's this lifetime, but, uh, but I do think that we have a a lot of people don't realize, you know, the scale of California. I mean, you're in Alameda County. There are more people in Alameda County than there are in Wyoming, North Dakota, uh, you know, Montana.
0: So it's plenty to do here, by the way, if you ever want to go to
1: office.
0: That's what I'm saying.
1: There's a lot to be done in every single county in every city in every school district. And you can make a difference. One voice can make a difference.
0: Yeah, sounds about right. Get on your local campaigns, go do some work um, and run for office. Sounds about right. right. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank
1: you for inviting me and good luck and calling me if I can do anything to be supportive.
0: Of course. Thank you so much, Delane. I appreciate your time. Take good care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.